The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we were in ourselves the very definition of unclean, and as we sang, you washed us clean. You washed us clean with blood, and we contributed nothing to that but the uncleanness. We brought nothing to the table. We were helpless and vulnerable before your law and before your right and good just judgment bringing nothing in our hands. You washed us clean. You did great good to us. You met our deepest needs, and you lifted us up, restored us to life, sustained us. You are a good Father. You did this in Christ. This is the gospel. And you did that because that's who you are. You are a God who hears the cry of people in need who have nothing in their hands to contribute. You are glorified as you lift up, as you restore, as you bring life. And you showed us that in the gospel, and we say thank you. And now we ask for still more, that you would continue to nourish us today from your word. Grow us up, teach us, and teach us about who you are and who we are to be. So use this passage this morning, Lord, to shape a people like you and to press then good like you into the world. We want to be a part of that, and so we ask you now, Spirit of God, to teach and guide, control this time, raise up a church that honors Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. The issue before us today is an extremely obvious one. 14 verses about caring for widows. There are a number of details we'll be considering about this topic as we get into it, but it's, it's worth pausing right there at the outset to say that again. 14 verses about caring for widows. Half a chapter. It seems a little excessive, maybe. Why would there be so much attention so much attention on this particular topic and on this one group of people. True, a lot lot of this here can apply to other groups, but he doesn't mention any other groups. He just talks about widows. We probably wouldn't be surprised to find 14 verses on parenting or on marriage or witnessing or work wisdom, something like that, because we'd expect that those topics are important. Those topics are, are central to our lives and central to the faith. We, we want to hear that. We're looking for that. But this one, I don't know. But maybe 14 verses on caring for widows is here because caring for widows is itself just as central and just as important for our lives and for the faith. Something that's equally important for we, the church family, to understand and get right. Not, not just for interpersonal and societal reasons so that you know, people are cared for, but because this is close to God's heart. 
and should be close to the heart of God's people. It's important for him, and so it should be for us, as we're going to look at today, 1 Timothy chapter 5. And as we do, I want to be clear that as we look at these verses and as, we, as I say things and maybe exhort a little bit, I am not intending to chastise this congregation. In fact, I want to start off by doing quite the opposite. It's possible, it's probable, that 14 verses show up here in, in Timothy because something was going on in the Ephesian church, something not good was going on in the Ephesian church that Paul had just set right. And it seems particularly, as we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit later, the second half of the passage, there, there seem to be some things being mentioned that we don't totally understand the context to, that they would have. So he probably has a problem he has to correct there, but I want to do kind of the opposite at the beginning and, and say I'm often encouraged by how I see this congregation living out a lot of this passage, even in some situations going on in our body right now. We think about widows and caring for widows. So, yes, there are things we need to learn, but may this come to you in a be encouraged and excel still more sense. It's not a chastisement. There are things we need to learn. There are, there are things that probably we haven't thought about yet. Maybe in particular why this is here. Why this is important. Why it's important that, that a church function here as, as a family with regards to caring for its widows. So, so we're going to think about that, but, but we should think about it from a sense of this is, this is God's heart. We want to be after this and we shouldn't feel chastised by it. So with that, let me read the passage. I'm going to read it, and then we'll draw out three observations from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. He writes, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works. She has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. 
If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are really widows. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Three observations. Here's the first, and it's quite short. Really, it's kind of like an entry or an on-ramp to the main topic. We need to consider, though, verses 1 and 2. Relationships in the church are supposed to be like those in a good family. Relationships in the church are supposed to be like those in a good family. The, The opening paragraph here, these first two verses, kind of operate as an intersection of sorts. Like Paul leads Timothy into the middle of this and, and glances down four roads before departing down one of them to, to kind of get into more depth. He's been talking to Timothy. Last week we looked at this about what his job was in the church there as pastor. He's to model the Christian life and carry out the ministry of the word. He is to read the scriptures in public and exhort and teach, particularly on Sunday morning, but of course in all kinds of settings. Pastors take the Bible and bring it to the people of the congregation, reading it and teaching it and exhorting. And so standing at this intersection here, Paul first tells Timothy about how he should do that in relation to older men. And the point to notice throughout all this is that everywhere he looks, he's talking about family. This applies to all of us, not just a pastor. He's in a unique position, though, where he might have to correct an older man. We may have to in different relationships, but he might have to as a pastor. And the point is, engage with it. Don't dodge it. But correct an older man like you would a father. Think. Honor your father and mother. So how would you correct someone that you are trying very hard to honor but need to speak to? Do it like that, Timothy. That's, that's one road he looks down. And then glancing the other way, he sees younger men treat them like brothers. So not like sons, interestingly. If, if older men are fathers, wouldn't younger men be sons? No, actually younger men are brothers, are, are equal, so respect them. Then there's older women like mothers. That's the road he's going to go down in a minute. Treat them like mothers. And then younger women treat them like sisters. And you've got to be very careful, very careful to treat them in all purity. Written from Timothy, the man's perspective, of course, you may need to flip that around. But treat the younger ones of your age in all purity. So that's how he, he like looks. And, and if he'd wanted to, he could have walked down any one of those paths and said more about it. But, but he takes a turn onto the, the older women path going to talk more about that in a second. But the point here at first is that this is a family, not just in how it functions. It's not just organizationally a family, like, you know, there's one person who's the leader. and No, it's, it's relationally like a family. Respect and care and love. So particularly then, as we come to the issue of what about the older women, we're supposed to be thinking as we come into this, the older women who are are our mothers. Older women, treat them like mothers. All of us. That's what brings us to the heart of the passage, the second observation. 
Secondly, then, a godly family will be eager to carefully care for its widows. A godly family will be eager to carefully care for its widows. Verse 3 is the the simple command that governs the, the whole section. Paul's talking to Timothy, and he's giving guidance to him, coming right out of the, the corporate church family of one and two. This is directed, the whole church is supposed to honor its widows. Those who are true widows, really widows. Like he defines in verses five and six. Those who are all alone, who have nothing and, and aren't living a, a self-indulgent, self-focused pleasure-seeking life, but who are alone and empty-handed, whose eyes are turned towards God. You're you're my only hope. I need you, Lord, crying out to him day and night. I need you to provide for me my daily bread because I don't know where else it's coming from. I have nothing. Those ones, he's saying, honor them. That's your responsibility, church. And he's going to go there. He's going to talk about that. But then, verse 4, a little detour, Because there might actually be some who aren't true widows in the sense. They aren't all alone. They have family present in the church. Kids and grandkids. Verse 8, relatives, other members of the household in some way. Verse 16 summarizes then what he's actually saying in the whole section here. You've got widows and you've got a church. And you've got a family. And we just need to think wisely about If you have a biological family, if you have people who are related, they're first in line to care for the widow. And if not, the church family takes care of the rest. And thereby, all of our widows are cared for by their family. That's where he's going. Carefully cared for by their family. What does that mean? The words and phrases kind of flesh it out. Honored, verse 3. Return made to them, verse 4. Provided for, verse 8. Care, twice in verse 16. Get honored and, and a return made and provided and cared for. Clearly he means financial support, provided, if needed. A very real need back then. You think about the world before Social Security. A very real need. Sometimes even in our world today, a very real and pressing need, but maybe a little less so, so we, we need to think a little more broadly. Sometimes in our world, for, for a widow, finances are not an issue, really, or a smaller issue. And so we should think about what does it mean to, to honor and care for and make a return to beyond just dollars. Certainly companionship, relationship. Certainly also spiritual encouragement. I mean, I, I, I'm not old, but I can imagine that one of the biggest challenges that somebody faces when you are a widow is you sit by yourself a lot, I would guess. And even if you've got plenty of money in the bank, there's a whole lot of I'm alone and companionship and a big piece of that spiritual encouragement needs to be cared for. 
logistical help also. Things like getting to the grocery store, taking care of the house, finding housing, handling technology, lots of practical things. Whatever is needed. I'm just throwing out some things here. There are plenty of people who are in better, better positions to understand this more acutely than I am. But the point is, carefully care. Whatever that means for any given relative in any given year, because that's going to change over time, right? That, it's going to vary. So Paul cannot be anywhere approaching exact. He can't begin to engage with questions that, that our society would raise about things like, how, how, do you, how do you do this in a world where there is such a thing as Social Security? And, and how should we think about nursing homes? Are those biblical or not? doesn't say. Carefully care before God. This is in the Bible. And then we read that Paul tells Timothy to command it to the church. So it's kind of like it's in the Bible twice. And then it's backed up with a warning. Lest they be under reproach. Before God, before God, before God or else. So I, I don't know how to answer all the specifics, but I, I think that if I come to the specifics with that kind of a mindset, God has assigned me a responsibility and is watching. I think I'm going to make careful decisions to carefully care and not abandon or ignore or abdicate. That can be really tempting. Again, like last week, and like next week, if you've looked ahead, next week's another one of these awkward sermons. There, there are a number of awkward sermons here where I'm talking about things that are highly personal. So I want to acknowledge I'm whatever age I am and you're whatever age you are. And I'm talking about situations that for some of us here are extremely real and extremely pressing. So I acknowledge that. And then let me say, probably for some of us, this strikes you as, yeah, no. Oh. Because my mom's kind of a hassle. <laughs> Part of my, what I'm trying to say here is I understand that that might be hurtful. It might, if, if you're the mom, and it might be, I might be meddling here if, if you're the one who's feeling like that, but it's true. It's tempting for us to kind of say, yeah, but, and to kind of slide away from this. For a lot of us, this kind of sneaks up on you. You weren't expecting it. And it creates, when it sneaks up, it creates kind of an unexpected sudden demand on time and resources. You're a middle-aged person and you just finally successfully emptied the nest. And like the rest of our country, you were finally now at this point of, of expecting some freedom. And here's this calling. Which is right, I mean... 
you're, you're Christian. You're, you're, you're seeing the Bible, you're hearing it, you, you don't reject it, but it kind of feels like, okay, carefully, thoughtfully, sacrificially, but it kind of feels like a drain on my time and on my resources. And that's because it is. It is a drain on your time and resources. It's exactly what it is. So it's, it's worth kind of putting that out there, naming it, acknowledging it. For a number of, I mean, Paul alludes to this in, in verse 8. For a number of non-Christian people in non-Christian cultures, for a number of people, Roman culture was like this, which is why he mentions this. They, they are committed to caring for elderly people in general. It would resonate with this. But not all cultures and not all people. In a lot of ancient cultures, the idea sort of was that it's appropriate for elderly, non-contributing members of society to be kind of set aside. For them to set themselves aside. A mouth that eats and doesn't contribute is a drain, even a danger sometimes. And if you listen... This is, again, hard to say out loud, maybe. But if you listen, you can kind of hear some of that thinking even today. Even in some older people themselves. I don't want to be a burden on my kids. Meaning I view myself as burden that they shouldn't have. So on the one hand... The person who, is, who this passage is speaking to, the person who is going to be the caregiver, feels like, ah, there's a little bit of a burden here. And the other person on the other side of it can feel like, I'm being a little bit of a burden here. I don't like feeling like that. I don't like being in the spot of, of feeling like they're doing it, but they don't really love this, and I'm a drain This even, if you listen and listen beneath the listening, this even comes up in some circles in the discussions of end-of-life issues. I don't want to be a burden. Maybe I should just check out. Burden. That seems to be the common word, I think. And to that... Here's the command from the Lord, care for your widows. There it is. Else be under reproach before God. You owe her. She gave you the best years of your life, of her life. Make a return to her. That's that the idea there is return on investment. She invested in you. You owe her back. Thus says the Lord. Just do it. And I say it like that on purpose to trigger something. Just do it. So, some of you know what I mean by that, some don't, but I'm alluding to something that we saw back in the book of Colossians that Paul, the 
Bible, God wants us to not think like that? Here's the law. Just do it. So I say this to trigger something, to make, to make you think, and, and to give you kind of like to light your instinct to look for more. I don't say it like that to diminish God's right to command. He's the commander. He has the right to command. He has the right to tell us how we are to be. But graciously, sweetly, God always does more than just command. And so I want us to think always, when I, when I find the law, what I found in the law, like honor your widows, what I find in the law is what I'm supposed to do but I should be hunting. I should, I should have a nose for it. I should be looking for what does God in grace mean to put right alongside of that to help me do what the law requires. And it's not just the laying on, the doubling down on the law. Something else coming in there. So I should be hunting for that. The law is right and good. How does God mean to help me? How does God mean to help me bear the burden and it is a burden. How does he help that burden feel light? Well, let's think. Turn your attention to verse 4. Before he tells us what to do to make some return, he tells us what that would be. It would be a showing of godliness. Showing godliness. Showing what God is like. With our actions, which God always from himself first says, I, God, I act in a way that is what I am. So if you're seeing me act, you're seeing who I am. And then he says to people, I want you to act out of what you are. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we looked at godliness? The godliness first begins with who I am before what I do. So what God's getting at here is, I want you to show godliness, but I always mean for that first to come from something in here that's godly, true godliness within you. I want you thinking and feeling and desiring and loving and caring like me and then living like me. Okay, so we're still thinking here. So you're saying, Lord, that if we spend our resources, give our lives to care for and to help in any way necessary, a person who can't do for herself, who is vulnerable, weak, and isn't contributing. If we lay down our lives for people who aren't contributing, that we're being like you? Uh-huh. That's exactly like God. It's exactly what God is like for us in the gospel. If you wind that back and you begin to think about that, you realize all the, the Old Testament is just is full of widow, orphan, sojourner, widow, orphan, sojourner, widow, clear enough, no husband, orphan, clear enough, no parents, sojourner, 
immigrant, people who can't contribute, who bring nothing to the table. I care for them, says the Lord. All, all kinds of places. We heard, we heard one of those passages prayed today. It's all over the Old Testament. Why? Because God is showing us what his heart is like. I'm the kind of God. Godliness is, is like this. I'm the kind of God who hears the cry of people who say, I have nothing, I have no hope, I am empty and vulnerable and weak, my eyes are turned towards you, if you don't come and answer and respond, I don't know what I'm going to do, my hope is only in you, nothing else. That kind of cry, the God who is hears that and responds to it. Because that's the opportunity for the God who is to say, I am a generous giver. I am the God of mercy and grace. I have no time for the person who says, I got this, Lord. But my ears are open to the person who says, I don't have anything but you. That's exactly what God is like. That's exactly what God has been like for you in Christ. As you lift up your, your voice and you cry, I have, I have need and I have no answer. He hears and he, hears, he heard so clearly and so strongly that he sent his son to the cross to answer. That's what God is. That's who he is. He doesn't care for widows because widows need to be cared for. He cares for widows because of who he is. The kind of God who cares for people who have nothing and bring nothing but their need. If we would be like him, Christian, if you would be like him, if you would bear this burden and if the burden were to seem light, you got to keep that gospel message of the God of grace who helps people who are vulnerable and weak. you got to keep that message really close to the surface. you got to keep your eyes on it, your ears tuned to it. If you would be like that God, and we care for those who are weak and vulnerable and in need. That's who he is, most dramatically shown to us in our spiritual destitution and vulnerability as he sent Christ to the cross to die for us. He loves to answer this kind of cry, and he loves to show to people and to the watching world, this is what I'm like, therefore this is what my people are like. They're showing me, they're showing godliness when they care for those who have nothing. That's why he commands us to care for the widows and warns us that if you don't, it's like denying the faith. Not just wrong, it's denying the faith. It's saying, the God who is cares for people who bring nothing to the table. I want nothing to do with that. It's denying the faith. He is a generous God of mercy and grace. And he wants us to remember his mercy and grace to us in our need. And that, if you remember that, that turns your eyes and turns your heart towards, oh, a God who is a God of mercy and grace towards me, a God who has come, who has heard my cry for help, who has helped me, that makes us be someone first and then do what he calls us to. It pleases him immensely when we walk with him like that, facing him and seeing him and then living like he is in the world. He wants, he's proud to say, that's my people. 
That's my family. So is there a burden here? Yeah, there is, for sure. We're only, you know, the age I am, we're only just beginning now to move into the spot in our family where, where we're facing these, these realities. Others of you are there right now, have been for a long time. Is there a burden? For sure. And the burden becomes light. How? Not by just do it. That's what an obedient Christian looks like. That's what God wants. That's true. But it becomes light as you, as is always the case. You set your heart first on the God who was like this for you. That's what changes us and moves us inside to follow his decrees. That's what's going to put you in a spot where you're thinking carefully about how to care. And about how to care even by saying no. Which is what brings us to the last observation. There's a caution that we should consider here as well. Here it is. In our generosity, we must be careful not to hurt our family. In our generosity, we must be careful not to hurt our family. Verse 9, this long paragraph, long second paragraph, Paul turns to, to give some specific details about the responsibility of the corporate church family. But he does this in a way that's a little bit odd. If you, if you read it closely, you read through there, and you realize most of the paragraph is about what not to do. Might be might be odd when you read that through and, you, and you're expecting, here's how we should care for widows, and a, and a bunch of the second paragraph is not this. And as you read it and think about it, you realize, I don't exactly know all of what he's talking about. He's clearly interacting with the situation already going on in Ephesus. He's talking about how some have been led astray. He tells them, for instance, in verse 9, enroll, let a widow be enrolled if she is, and then he gives some qualifications. But enrolled in what? Enrolled onto what? Maybe it's just a list of the widows so that nobody loses track of them. Could be that. However, Everybody who deals with this passage points out, if so, verses 9 and 10 are going to make that list small. If you read the qualifications of verses 9 and 10, if, if this is the list of who the widows are, it seems like he's now going to just say everything about care for, and then he's going to like shrink it all the way down to those who are first of a certain age. He, he gives the number 60. We would have to think about that in relation to life expectancy. If your life expectancy is 50, then 60 doesn't really help. He means older women, wife of one husband, a one-man woman, similarly to the requirements for deacon and elder, somebody who's been lifelong, has a reputation for good works, brought up children, shown hospitality, cared for the afflicted, all kinds of good works, in fact. This is a, a uniquely godly, uniquely qualified widow. 
So I suppose if you came to faith late in life, you're not going to be cared for. Or if you've been kind of a, a, an ordinary Christian, if you kind of wavered back and forth through life, and, uh, but you're not going to be cared for either because this is like exemplary. Because of that, most people think, most people who interact with this text think that what we're seeing here is kind of the, the, the opposite side of, of a list that, is, that goes beyond the, the framing, verse 3, honor your widows, verse 16, care for those who are really widows. It goes beyond the framework and gets to something specific in the middle. Care for and almost like employ certain widows. And in fact, this passage is historically what launched the idea of nuns. Immediately, unfortunately, distorted and abused. But you can kind of, if you read, oh yeah, I can kind of see that in here. These exemplary older women taken on by the church. They're going to use all these gifts that they have. And it seems like they made a vow to commit themselves wholly to Christ the problem the younger women get into is breaking a vow. Well, you don't want to enroll them. So you can kind of see that here. Maybe that's what he's talking about. He's giving some, some qualifications about who you would want to bring on in this special capacity, bring on almost as, as unique servants in the church. Could be. We have to read between the lines to, to kind of understand that particularly when he talks about why they shouldn't enroll the younger women. And that's actually the point that we're going to work on most here because that's, get, that's what gets the most attention in this, in this paragraph. The church family should not enroll younger widows because, here's the point, it would hurt them in the end. He says, don't enroll younger women. Why not? Because a younger woman, verse 11, may once again have her passions aroused and may want to get married again. A situation that he calls being drawn away from Christ, or in verse 12 calls abandoning their former faith. He does not mean that they left the faith. He means they left their own faith. They'd made a vow, a faith promise, and now they turn away from that. They abandon that, drawn away from their, their, acclaimed, their proclaimed devotion to Christ and his church because they really, really want to get married again. And, and a guy came along who really, really wants to marry them. So sinfully they break their vows and that invites condemnation. And besides, the ones who don't break their vows have a long life of idleness. Think about this. If life expectancy is 70 and you put a 30-year-old woman in a spot where you can't get married, you can't work, and your needs are completely met for 40 years. She learns, it says, learns idleness. Because idle hands do make the devil's work, she is now vulnerable to temptation. And some, in fact, in Ephesus there have already strayed after Satan. This is already happening. The point here, the young widows in Ephesus that were enrolled and got into trouble, they weren't starting out trying to abuse the system. 
They weren't saying, I'll just do this until a guy comes along, then I'll leave. No. They, they made an honest promise in faith. Their passions drew them away, it says. Their emotions. And they didn't start out as idlers. This is going to be an easy life. No, they learned idleness. They got, and then they got spiritually preyed upon. They weren't trying to abuse the system. They weren't trying to be lazy. But in a real way, the church and its generosity hurt them by laying a trap for them that they weren't strong enough to resist. And Paul's point here is don't put them in that trap. Don't do that. Instead, verse 14, I'm going to say no and I'm going to send them back into life, back into the normal path of life and I'm going to say marriage, children, household, there's where your life is, there's your provision is, go. We're not going to care for you because we're going to care for you. That's a lesson that we need to keep in mind. To care for widows carefully and thoughtfully sometimes involves saying no. Carefully and thoughtfully. Because this can easily be a weapon, right? This can be an easy out. Somebody, somebody says, uh, I think it would be better for you if we said no. Because really they want to say no. I think it would be better for you to go work with your own hands because I don't want to be bothered with my hands. It, it can be an easy out. It can be a weapon used. Yeah, we, we have to acknowledge that. But we also have to acknowledge that sometimes if you hear the preacher preach point two and you see a God lifted up in front of you who was generous with you when you contributed nothing, sometimes we can get carried away into that ditch and say, here, 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 and unwittingly hurt. Sometimes generosity hurts. So we have to be careful and wise as we care for the widows in our family so as not to hurt them. That's what Paul says here. I want to tack on to the end here a, a little like appendix and say something like, what about other categories? Because it's been widow, 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 widow. You've a couple times mentioned immigrants and, and orphans. You didn't mention widow were. You didn't mention elderly people who are both still married. What, if, what about them? Or maybe people who suffer from some sort of a mental or a physical inability or disability. What about them? Should the church care for them? What do you think? What do you think? Yes. 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 Nothing about this should say only these ones. God wants to say especially these ones. It's, he's putting his finger on something that's, that's always most prevalent. In, probably in any church in any time, there have been more widows than widowers. Probably. 
So he wants to say, this is going to be common, and this is going to appear the very definition of helpless. Because even if you just look at a man and a woman, there's, there's at least a perception of greater need in the woman. He's trying to, to put the finger on the one that's common and has need and is also easily ignored. Not saying, and not the other ones. All the other categories, too. All the other categories, too. If we're going to be a family, if we're going to stand at the crossroads and, and look down and see these other, the same thing would apply if we were to step out and engage with an older man or a younger woman. or People. People. So other vulnerable and needy ones, them too, of course. Carefully care for them too, of course. But these ones especially, our widows, it's one of the ways that we honor our fathers and our mothers by caring for them all the way through their lives. Bearing what is in fact a burden, like they bore the burden that was us, in the exact same way. Not with eyes looking at the potentiality in this burden, but looking at the one who gives in grace to me. That's how God wants his people to show godliness, to be godly and to show godliness. It's godliness in action, a family that loves and cares like its father. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you designed your people like you did. It is so superior to joining a club, to be born into a family. Give us grace to work like a family. Eyes set on our Father who is in heaven, taking cue from you. Would you draw our hearts to you? Would, you? would you win us to yourself? Would you show us Christ crucified to meet our needs? To deal with our sin first and foremost. To open up access to you first and foremost. And then in that access to find all of life sustained. It was eyes to see that and then turn us out to show that in the world. Thank you. Thank you for this design, for the promise of your spirit that will carry it out until you come. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.